Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Good morning, family. How are we doing this morning? Is it a blessed occasion or is it a blessed occasion? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, I'm a bearer. I thought Pastor Quentin was so in such a merry Christmas mood. He was coming to shake my hand. That's new. We'll, we'll do that. Um, please give a warm round of applause to my friend Joey. Joey. Joey is one of our young disciples, and he's going to uh, read our anchor scripture for us today. We're going to be reading from uh, the book of uh, Isaiah. Uh, chapter 9. So if you're following in your, in your Bibles or on your phone, um, the scripture reading is from Isaiah uh, chapter 9, and then we'll be going from verse 1 through to verse 7. But there was no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Napatli. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the, sh- and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor, and you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to melt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Amen. On the throne of David and over I his think, I think that's, that's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, other, 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 thank, thank you so much. Give uh, a round of applause. Otherwise I have to preach that next part that he's going to read and I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. <laughs> awesome to be able to Work alongside our 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 young disciples. Um, shout out to our kids ministers and our youth workers who are doing an incredible job in discipling young people and and uh, and shaping and helping them to live out their uh, destinies and their purposes in Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So so the scripture that Joey was helping us with from Isaiah nine um, verse one. Verse 1 says this, it says, uh, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And if we read, just by process of logic, if we start to read a section of scripture, and the first thing is but, that tells us, right, that we probably are walking into the middle of a conversation. We're probably walking into the middle of something ongoing. And so it would be wise to take a, a step back and to discover what, what, is it, what is the concession, what is happening here. Something else was being spoken about, but there will be uh, no, no gloom. And, and in, in, in doing so, we are cultivating a healthy perspective of what it is that we are celebrating today and, um, and what it means for us. And so there is a great promise that was made by God through Isaiah to the people of Israel. And it is this great promise, the fulfillment of this great promise, that we now get to celebrate. And we read that unto us a child is born, and so a child is going to come into this world, and this child is going to carry, uh, the, the descriptors that are given of this child are descriptors of, of, a, of a deity, of a God, right? It is the government um, is, on, is on his shoulders of uh, of of the, the the peace of his kingdom, there will be no end, and so we can see that there is something uh, 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 higher than what we are we, what we're used to being addressed when it comes to um, the giving 
of this child. I want us to note also and just keep in mind as we are tracking through the scriptures that that verse spoke about uh, in verse uh, uh, 6 or 7, it spoke about uh, that a child, unto us a child is given. And uh, it's good for us to just keep that in the back of our minds because that, that, um, that word given, it, it, it implies uh, that um, this child is given much like we would give a gift and that there is a gift that is given to us and a gift that we celebrate. We commemorate it, right, don't we? Today, we, uh, uh, um, first thing in the morning, my kids uh, jumped out of bed and they ran to, uh, to the, the Christmas tree because there's anticipation, right, that, um, that, that, that Santa Claus has come through the chimney and has put the, the presents. Yes, we still do that. Don't judge me. Um, and uh, where are they? We, we believe... We, be, we believe in, 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 in Santa, Santa Claus. He comes, he comes through the... <coughs> he, comes through the, he comes through the chimney. They haven't asked me to show them the chimney. <laughs> but, <laughs> often, I often wonder how, how Township uh, Santa Claus gets into the house because... <laughs> There is this gift that is given to us. And, and in the exchanging of gifts with one another, whether it is material gifts or gifts of our time and generosity, of our attention, of our love, um, of our forgiveness, of our compassions, all of these things are beautiful. In the giving of these, we are commemorating and celebrating the giving of this incredible gift. For unto us, a child is born. Um, when we look at, if we take just one step back, so we, we, we've got Isaiah uh, uh, 9, and you won't have it on, your, on, on the screen, but if you're following in your Bible, um, looking at the previous chapter, uh, chapter 8, just the last section, uh, verse 22, it'll benefit you to read the previous uh, uh, section, the whole previous section, but for the purposes of time, we'll just read that last uh, verse uh, 22, and then go directly to uh, chapter 9, verse 1, because I think it just makes better sense that way. Chapter 8, verse 22 says, And they will look to the earth... But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And so when, when we read like this, what we discover is that Isaiah was in the midst of prophesying and declaring doom over the nation because of their disobedience. And so God was not pleased with the people and God was pronouncing judgment. He was pronouncing judgment over these people and he gives Isaiah this declaration. And so Isaiah is in the midst of declaring <clears throat> some of these terrible things that, that, that will come, uh, come upon these people. Uh, the oppression, the, the, the plunder, being plundered and all of these things. And in the middle of that, in chapter 9, he says, but... There will be no doom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. And so in the midst of the pronouncement of judgment, there is a pronouncement of hope. In the midst of God speaking and saying, this is how I'm going to punish you, he is also saying, this is how I'm going to save you. Yeah. And so we see there that when God is disciplining the children of Israel, it is not a sadistic disciplining. It is a disciplining out of love. Because he says, I'm going to discipline you, but there is glory coming. This is, let us consider this as preparation for the glory that is to come. Now, that was good news for them because in the midst of darkness and despair, they had this promise to hold on to. Unto us, a child will be born. They had this promise that they could hold on to, that they could build with. It is encouraging to us as well because now we know and we can see because God is a consistent God the, that when we find ourselves in difficult situations, 
in places of deep darkness and anguish, when we find ourselves in places of anxiety and depression, when we find ourselves in places of disappointment, whatever that, 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 that dark and gloomy space is for you, that there is a hope for you. Because God is constantly moving from the former to the latter. And the latter is glorious. And so there is hope for your situation if you're processing failure. There is hope for your situation if you're processing shortcoming, if you're processing uh, whatever that space is for you that you find yourself in. The good news on this Christmas day is that God is consistently moving from the former to the latter. And he is building something glorious. And so your narrative, wherever it is right now, whatever your life story is right now, you can be assured that it is building towards something glorious. Because that is what God was doing throughout the, 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 the history of the people of Israel, and that is what he continues to do in our lives today. When we look at how he interacted with them, we may learn something about him, we may learn something about ourselves. That there are times when God is saying, right, because of decisions that you have made, because of things that you have followed through on, there is consequence. You will have to live out the consequence, but have hope and know that I have a plan, and the plan is glorious. And so we can celebrate today because we are looking retrospectively and we say, that child was born, God did fulfill his promise, and in the fulfilling of his promise, he took us from what was former <clears throat> and brought us to what was in the latter. He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The reason uh, Galilee uh, in, in, this, in this scripture is called Galilee of the nations was because of its location. Because of its, its location in the land of, um, of Zebulon and, and Naphtali, which was on the northern borders of Israel, it was a, it was a, a, a cosmopolitan area where, where cultures mixed, people from foreign lands were often in that area. It's called the, 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 way, uh, the way of the sea because the, the, there was a, a popular trade route that moved through that area that was called the way of the sea that connected the, the, the historical superpowers of Egypt and the, and the superpowers of the, of the, of the east. And so it was a popular area with people constantly coming in, going out, settling in the area. Um, it, it was, it was an area that came to be called Galilee of the nations. In some, in some of your Bibles, it will be called uh, Galilee of the Gentiles. He says this of this land. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. On these people, a light has shone. Isaiah uses a compound word here, this, this word uh, uh, deep, deep darkness, deep darkness, um, which, which when translated literally uh, is, is death shadow. And so, and so he's using a comp this compound word for emphasis. The land that Jesus will bring the light into is one that is not just in darkness, it is in deep darkness. I, I find as a side note, I find it interesting that, um, that it says that uh, it, it, it says, it's not, it doesn't say the people are in deep darkness, it says the land is in deep darkness. Now we know that the, the, the people themselves are the ones who, 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 are, who are practicing uh, rebellion and disobedience and all of those things. But what this highlighted to me and reminded me of is that the very nature is uh, affected by our sin. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, I forget where it is in, in, in Scripture. You can find it. Uh, I think it's Romans, Romans, particularly Romans 8, that, uh, that all creation waits, in, is groaning in, in, in anticipation for the manifestation of the Son's and daughters of the living God. And so it is, it is th this, this project of waiting for this great light and this child that is given to us is felt not just by people, but also by all creation. And when Jesus comes and he saves us and he comes to the, 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 the second coming and all things are redeemed, it's not just us that are redeemed, all creation yeah. is 
redeemed. But the people are in deep darkness and they've seen a great light. What he does is he juxtaposes these things, darkness with death and, and, um, and light with life. Darkness with death and light with life. If we were to suppose that this verse 2 is talking about a spiritual darkness, would that feel far from the truth? Wouldn't feel far from the truth at all. Um, these people are in deep darkness and Jesus comes and he, he, he illuminates and he illuminates our hearts and he uh, opens, he opens, our, he opens our, our eyes to know, to know the truth. But let's also presuppose that this light, this great light that is being spoken of is not a spiritual light, but an actual light, a light that allows us to see where we're going and what we're doing. Let us presuppose that that is the case. What does that mean then for us? Well, a light has come into the world, great light, to those who dwelt in deep darkness. And perhaps those who dwelt, who dwelling in deep darkness might respond by saying, well, that's great, it's good news, but we already have a light. It's called the sun. And it does the job quite well. We don't need another light. And we might say to that, those people in deep darkness, do you realize that the sun is losing energy and is in a process of decay? So is all creation. What then would happen? Let's suppose that we are, not us, but that, that man is still around on the earth when the sun finally reaches its expiry. What would happen? The sun would die, and so would all life. Right? It, it, it would be impossible to maintain life on this earth. Unless, if that great light that is being spoken of is an actual light, that is actually superseding the light that we receive from the sun. Track with me. In the beginning, in Genesis, God says, let there be light. God is creating a place where he's going to bring life. What does he do in order to bring life? Light. When does the sun come into play? Day four. How was there life without the sun? To answer that question, let's go to Revelation. In Revelation, speaks about how when in the new Jerusalem, there is no sun. It says that uh, God and, and, and Jesus are, they, they, they are the light. And so we have these two positions where there is no sun, but there is light. What that tells me is that this great light that has come into the world is a light, is the light that was right at the beginning that is coming to take its rightful place where we have exchanged what was supposed to be the, 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 the almighty light and source of, a source of life that we were receiving from God. We turned our eyes to the sun, which, which, which replenishes us, but is, is limited. But there will come a time when we won't even need that sun because a great light has come into the deep darkness. And this light is the ultimate light that cannot be extinguished, that does not decay, that does not harm, but is forever blessing. And so this great light that has come into the world is what we celebrate. We're celebrating a great rejoicing. In verse 3 it says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And so, how has God multiplied the nation? In, um, in, John, in John 10, uh, uh, Jesus speaks about, 
I have, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must preach to them too and bring them into the fold and they will, and they will hear one shepherd's voice. And uh, somebody once tried to use that scripture to show me uh, or to prove the existence of aliens. So they, I don't know what you're going to do with that. But G- Jesus says, I-, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I'm going to preach to these people, and they are receiving this message. They are receiving the hope. They are receiving the declaration of this incredible, great, ultimate light that comes into our lives, and thereby multiplying the nation. You have increased this joy. They rejoice as with the joy at the harvest. By the way, on that nation thing, in, in terms of increasing the nation, here, here's another thought that occurred to me. Jesus, if you uh, wanted to, uh, to increase the nation, if you wanted to have maximum uh, 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 impact, why did you go to Galilee, the land of Zebulon and Naphtali, which is on the outskirts? Why not go to the capital? Surely, like any decent conqueror, you would want to take the capital because if you take the capital, everything else crumbles. When, 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 uh, when, when Rome came in and, and, and took over uh, uh, um, the, the nation of Israel, it was Pompey who, who, who rode into Jerusalem, victorious. Jesus, why didn't you do that? Why were you born in some obscure part of the country? What was the purpose of that? How are we supposed to believe that you are our ultimate leader and our ultimate uh, light if you come from obscurity? Be kind of like somebody standing up and saying, right, I, I, I've been called by God. I am going to be the president of this nation. And we're like, yeah, we're going to get behind you. Where are you from? Well, I was born and raised in Musina. Anybody from Messina? <laughs> I was born and raised in, 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 in Messina. By the, it's, it's, a, it's a border town. Uh, half the people don't even know where, where, where it is. Jesus, what, okay, tell us about your credentials. Tell, what, what, what schools did you go to? Okay, you don't have those credentials. Uh, what about your parents? What, were they, what was their, their profession? Well, my dad is a handyman and my mom works in the kitchens. Okay, Fine, but on, when, when you were born and it was amazing uh, and, and, uh, and, and people came around you, who are your associates? My associates are the guys who pull the, the, the recycling carts on the roads. Those guys that, we, that annoy us and we're like, Ugh. Would we take this person seriously? Probably not. Probably not because we look for certain markers of greatness, don't we? And Jesus had none of those markers. Jesus had none of those markers. Jesus was born into a poor family. Jesus uh, was born to a, uh, to a, or was conceived by an unwed mother. That's a stigma that would have followed them for the rest of their lives. He was born in, a, in, a, in, a, in the backwaters where nobody knows what happens there. He didn't have strong associations. He didn't have the markers of greatness. And if we can't relate to that Jesus, we struggle to relate to this world. Because we're comfortable to relate with conqueror Jesus. With the Jesus who is coming back and will smite the enemy. Maybe even the grown-up Jesus who uh, went about performing miracles and doing wondrous works. But it is difficult for us to relate with the Jesus who does not make the cut. That we ourselves would disqualify him. If you were to stand here and we go through our markers of greatness, he would fail the test. And so Jesus, from the moment he was born, began to teach us something and expose something about our hearts. That our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are wicked and in desperate need of a savior. And, and, and that we are selfish because we want to associate with the rising star, but not with the least of these. 
And so he begins to expose these things from the very beginning. It's good to, for us to be asking ourselves and to be doing some audits every now and then in our hearts. Like, when I look at the people that I spend time with, when I look at the language that I use, when I look at my activities, when I look at where I go and where I won't go, when I look at how, what I think of generosity and serving others and all of these things, does it expose in me that I, I would have been able to relate with that Jesus who was born and put into a feeding trough because that's the best that they could do? Or would I wait for him to achieve some kind of something and have some kind of credential? And that's the Jesus that I can relate to. You have increased the joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And when we rejoice, the joy of, of, um, of the harvest is, is a joy of gratitude and relief. Right? Because when you are rejoicing at the harvest, you are rejoicing at the fact that what you have sown is now ready to be harvested, is now ready to be consumed. And so if you are celebrating a harvest, what that tells me about you is that at some point you had to sacrifice. Harvest doesn't come without sacrifice. What do I mean by that? At the beginning of the sowing season, you have seed and food. And you need to, you're looking at, what you, at, at the resources that you have. Some of these resources need to be distributed to your family to consume. And some of these resources need to be sown. If you have no discipline and have no uh, perception of self-sacrifice, then you will consume it all. And you'll be crying at the time of the harvest. But if you have the discipline, if you have the, 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 the willingness to sacrifice, then you're willing to forego some niceties right now in view of what you will collect later. And so as, 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 as kingdom citizens, we are called to live sacrificial lives. Those sacrificial lives may, might, might be directly impacting us or it might have to do with somebody else, but we're called to live sacrificial lives. And, and practically what that looks like is I don't consume everything today because I can. In, in, in my time, in, in, in my talents, in my money, in, my fr in whatever sphere that comes to you at this point, there is a sacrifice that is required of you so that there may be a harvest. And at the harvest is, is the time of great joy. Because at the harvest, we're going, everything now makes sense. Everything now comes into clear view. We are rejoicing at the sacrifice. What made us mourn and cry before is causing us to shout and leap with joy today. That works for us in our lives in how we are engaging and how we are doing this faith thing that we are engage, that we're engaging sacrificially, knowing that there will come a day and we will reap. But there is also a big picture here that says that there is coming a day when our Savior returns. And when He returns, one of the questions at least will be, right, what have you sown? It's harvest day. It's harvest day. Let's gather. It's time to bring in the harvest. It's time to have plenty and abundance. It's time to rejoice and party. And what a party, man. What a party that's going to be. But the question will be, what have you sown? Because you don't arrive at the harvest party without having sown. But if you have sown in this life, then you reap in the next and you reap at the coming of the Messiah. We sow, we sow with faith. We sow with generosity. We sow with, uh, with making disciples and preaching the gospel. We sow by being faithful citizens of the kingdom. We sow by, by representing, being solid ambassadors. We sow, the, we, we sow, we sow, we sow, and then there comes a time when we reap. The promise for us is that when at the ultimate reaping, at the ultimate harvest, that harvest will be eternal. There will no longer be any need for us to deny ourselves. 
But today we are still called to deny ourselves. How are you denying your flesh today in order to reap in the times to come? How are you going to, the, going to Jesus, going to accountability, going to connect group to make sure that if there is a, a sin that has become a source of indulgence for your flesh, that you are not living comfortably in that place, but you are self-sacrificing so that you, be, you would be rid of that sin so that you can, you, you can be part of the harvest party. How are you sowing in your giving, in your use of finances, so that you don't spend every single cent and rand that comes in on yourself, but you are looking around and saying, God, who do you want to bless? So that at the time of the harvest, you may be part of the harvest party. How are you seeking out opportunities to tell people about Jesus? Sharing your testimony of what Jesus has done for you, leading people to Christ, so that at the time of the harvest, you are reaping a harvest of souls. It will be sad, saints, for us to just, just kind of make it into the kingdom because we were committed solely to comfort in this life. Solely to gathering, gathering for myself. Never looking and figuring out what it looks like to sow in this season. They're also glad as when they divide the spoil. Now, who gets to, dis to divide the spoil? The winners get to dis divide the, the spoil. Winners divide the spoil. We are, we, we are uh, uh, living and, and rejoicing at the d division of the spoils because we have won. We have conquered. If you lose, you don't get any part of the, of the plunder. But if you win... Man, so part of our rejoicing is we have conquered, we have won, and so now we get to benefit from riches that were not ours in the first place. But because of the goodness of God, we enter into the plunder. And so we enter into his victory, and we enter into his plunder. And we are blessed. How good is this God? They're glad when they divide the spoil. We're celebrating a great victory. Celebrating a great victory. So celebrating a great light. We are celebrating a great rejoicing. And we are also celebrating a great victory. Verse 4 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. You have broken the yoke. The yoke of burden and the yoke of Oppression. Now, some of you may be familiar with what a yoke is, and it's that contraption that you put on, on, a, on a plow animal um, and yoke it to, together with, a, with, with other plow animals so that you can, plow, you can plow fields, and it helps you to control the animals, and you can plow straight. So a, a yoke is a useful thing. It's a tool for productivity. It's good. But this yoke here is called a yoke of burden. It was a heavy yoke. But Jesus, because he has come into this world, has broken that yoke of burden. He has broken it, and he has won for us a freedom. Here's the trick, though. Here's the trick. Freedom doesn't look like this. So we yoked in, plowing in the fields of Satan. And then we come out. Jesus has broken that burden. And now we are free. And now that I'm free... I can go and do what I want. I can plow the field that I want to plow. I can uh, live, live my life. It's my life, and I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. I thought, when I started that, I thought I'm quoting that John, that bon, John who, bon Jovi song, and then it left me. And I, okay. No, no. But, 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 um, but that's what we sometimes think it means, right? We've broken free. We've broken free great, I'm free, it's my life, and I'm going to live it. But here's Jesus standing over here after having broken that yoke, and guess what's in his hands? A yoke. A yoke. <laughs> well done. You've achieved freedom, you've, you've come out of that one, here's a yoke. But the promise of Jesus with that yoke is that his yoke 
is easy. And his burden is light. So true freedom is not coming out of a burden of the enemy and then walking around and doing what we want. True freedom is being able to choose which burden we want. Because we can still say no to the burden of Jesus and say, thank you, but I'm actually going to put this burden that you've broken, I'm going to put it back together and I'm going to yoke myself back in there. I can choose to do that. Or I can choose to say, thank you, Jesus, I'm going to yoke myself to your burden. I can choose to do that. If I choose not to be yoked in with Jesus, I have also then chosen to be yoked in with the enemy. It's that simple. There, there isn't a middle space where I'm figuring things out. There isn't a middle space where I'm a little bit upset with God right now. We're not, we're not talking to each other. There isn't a middle space of, uh, I, I'm going to try some experiment with some other things and see what works. This, this one uh, had a bit of a disappointment over here. I'm going to try some other stuff. I'm going to experiment. I'll see. Maybe I'll come back. I'll circle back. There isn't a middle space, saints. You are either yoked in to the burden of Jesus or you are yoked in to the burden of the enemy. But Jesus came to win us the freedom to choose. We, we couldn't choose before. But Jesus gives us the grace and the ability and the freedom to be able to choose. I'm coming out of this yoke that is broken and I'm going to yoke myself in with the burden of Jesus. And so he wins for us a great victory. The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. So as, I, as I'm reading, one of the things that popped up is um, this on, as on the day of Midian. So I'm considering that if you read the Old Testament, especially if you spend time in in, in Judges and in the, book of, uh, in the books of Kings, the one, one and two Kings, that the whole narrative is, the, is God saving them, they rebel, another nation oppresses them. God saves them, they rebel, another nation oppresses them. God saves them, this guy's awesome, and for a season it's amazing, he dies, they rebel again, God, and, and they're oppressed by another nation. So there, there was a, 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 pl a plethora of nations to choose from. Why did Isaiah specifically speak about a broken yoke as on the day of Midian? And then I found in Judges the story of Gideon. The story of Gideon is, 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 is that the, the, the Israelites were oppressed by the people of Midian. Every side. And what, how this oppression worked is, at harvest time, when it was time to reap, the entire nation of Midian would come into the land of Israel with all of their livestock. In fact, the Bible, if you read it, it'll tell you that their camels were numbered as much as the sand in the seashore. They'd come into the land and devour everything. Devour absolutely everything. Leave them with nothing. And then they'll go back home and enjoy their own harvest again. And God appears to Gideon and sets him up as somebody who's going to lead uh, the revolution. Gideon gathers a very strong, thousand-strong army. And they're going to take on uh, these, these Midianites. But God says to him, no, I don't want you to take them on with that many people. Just start to whittle them down. I'll tell you when to stop. Whittles them down, whittles them down, whittles them down. Eventually God says, okay, you can stop. At 300. 300 people to take on an entire nation's army that has oppressed you for years. And if you read on in the story, God does bring deliverance. But it wasn't through Gideon's sword or the 300. God himself brought deliverance. God himself, how did he do it? He brought confusion into the camp. And the, the, the army... This, this great multitude began to fight amongst themselves and kill each other. God brought incredible confusion. Um, and, and, uh, and then this, this courage arose in Gideon and, and his 300 and others came and they finished off and gathered the spoils and the plunder and it was beautiful. Time of great rejoicing. Why does that story stick out? 
because it was an example of a victory that came not by our might, not by our strategy, not by our will, but by the making and the will of God. And so when Isaiah is prophesying about this burden that's going to be broken, what he is saying is that you are going to achieve ultimate freedom, salvation, light, and you're going to receive this light from the ultimate life-giving source. But you know what? It's not going to be by your power. It's not going to be by anything that you are able to do. It's going to be by the mighty hand of God. And it's not going to look like how you think it will look like. When, 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 when Gideon was putting together the army, preparing to challenge the oppressors, the way, the way the victory came didn't look like what he thought was going to happen. And so when Jesus came into the picture and was speaking of victory and being an, an overcomer and all of these beautiful things, and people around him said, right, here's our general who's going to lead us in the army. And what does the general do? He climbs up on a cross and refuses to come down until he dies. Didn't look like what they thought it should, should look like. But it, it brought about a tremendous victory that only the hand of God could have worked. And so our yoke, our heavy, burdensome yoke that we were under, oppressed by the, by, by the enemy, God has come and he has broken that yoke and granted us freedom. And so we celebrate a great victory. We celebrate a great peace. For every brute of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. And so this, this great battle scene and imagery and metaphor that is being used now we understand also that not only are we going to achieve a, a, a tremendous victory and by the hand of God, but even the boots and the rolled up clothes that, that were stained with blood, terrible uh, uh, things and atrocities that were performed by these things are going to be gathered up and thrown in the fire. In, 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 uh, in, in Romans 8, Paul speaks about how we are more than conquerors. We are conquerors, but we are also more than that. What does that mean? Well, when we look back at something like this, it tells us that not only does God perform this victory and we are victorious, but also the tools of the enemy that were used to wage warfare against us are burnt and become fuel for our fire. God has your best interest at heart. And he will use even what you thought was evil to outwork his good outcome. Every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. A great peace. Why do we celebrate the coming of the Messiah born into this world as a child? We're celebrating because when Jesus was born into this world, he brought about a great victory. He brought about a great peace. He brought about a great rejoicing. He brought about a great light. So we stand to our feet. When we look um, at that verse 6, it says, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And I mentioned at the beginning that that becomes important for us in our understanding of this scripture. To us a child is, a son is given. The gift is given. Saints, how we receive a gift is important. When receiving a gift, there are some acknowledgements that we have to make about ourselves. So, if somebody gives me a gift this Christmas, and that gift, I unwrap it excitedly, and I open the gift, and it's a book, and it's a weight loss book, 
I, I, have, I have a decision to make. Am I going to throw the book back in the, in, in the, in the person's face? Or am I going to reflect a little bit about, uh, okay, so what are you trying to tell me? I can accept that, okay, maybe, look, you know, I, I, I put on a little bit of weight. I'll take that book and I'll put it to good use. Open another book. And it's a, it's a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. So what, what are you trying to say about me? Am I, am I overweight and obnoxious? In the receiving of that gift, there's an acknowledgement that I'm making about myself. This weight loss book is going to be beneficial to me because I am, I am a little bit overweight. This book is going to be beneficial to me because actually I've noticed relationally that I seem to rub people up the wrong way. And so there's an acknowledgement that is required of us. In the same way, the giving of the gift of the Christ, the Messiah, who came into this world, in the receiving of that gift, we have to make some concessions. See, if you're sorted, if there's nothing wrong, you're happy, you believe that you are uh, uh, sufficient, then that gift is irrelevant for you. It's irrelevant for you. But in the receiving of that gift, if you acknowledge that is the ultimate gift because I have tried to run my life and I've run it into a ditch. Because I, I have tried other solutions but I've, I continue to feel lonely. Because I have tried to come out of this burdensome yoke and for whatever reason I keep going back and I need an empowering that's going to break into my life and cause me to embrace the yoke of Jesus. Whatever that concession is that you have to make, you have to do it before receiving that, in order to receive that gift. Because if you don't, you do what we normally do with, with gifts that we're like, uh, what do I do with this? Thanks for the book, and I take it, and I put it on my bookshelf. And it's of no use to me. And so I want to invite you into a, 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 just a, a quick time of introspection for us just to ask ourselves, where, where am I in this relationship with Jesus? The gift that has been given, how am I receiving or how have I received that gift? Is it, have I received it with great hu- the great humility of acknowledging that this is exactly what I needed and it is beyond what I could have done for myself? Or have I received it as kind of an add-on? It'll, it'll adorn my library, make me look good. And so as, as you think that through, just how you are appropriating this gift, what I'd like to invite you to is just to find three, three or four people around you. We're going to pray together. We're going to land, land the service with prayer. We're going to pray together. Uh, pray, you'll pray blessing. If somebody has a specific need, they can uh, just mention that and pray. But the first thing that I'd like to ask you to do when you, come, when, when you uh, 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 get together in your groups is just ask each other, hey, have you received this gift? Have you received this gift? Or would you like for us to pray, to pray together right now for you to receive this gift of the salvation that comes with Jesus Christ? All right, so let's find three or people around us, three or four people around us, and, um, and then let's pray together.
Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to come and worship and sit under your word this morning, Lord Father God. Father, I thank you for every prayer that's going around this room right now, Lord Father God. Thank you that you are meeting people's needs wherever they're at, Lord Father God. Father, we stand on your word that if two or more agree on one thing, so shall it be. And so we stand in agreement with all these prayers in this room, Lord Father God. And this morning, Father, we, we graciously accept the gift of Jesus in our lives, Lord Father God. Thank you that we can come together and lift your name up on high. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.